Thanks for joining my Smart Smile podcast, where the goal is to help you get the grade and the name RDH. I'm your host, Amanda Shoemaker. On this episode, we will be discussing a patient with special needs, specifically the patient with diabetes. We're going to be able to describe the types of diabetes, identify risk factors and complications, as well as identify key messages for patients with diabetes. Let's get started. Diabetes mellitus is a chronic metabolic disease associated with elevated levels of blood glucose that over time leads to serious damage to the heart, blood vessels, eyes, kidneys, and nerves. According to the World Health Organization, 422 million people worldwide have diabetes. And also according to the World Health Organization, 1.6 million deaths are directly attributed to diabetes each year. The risk of death is 50% higher for individuals with diabetes compared to those without. With diabetes, we have some oral health implications. Um, These are associated with periodontal disease, dental caries, and endodontic infections. Uh, People who have diabetes are, it's a risk factor for periodontitis. It can affect periodontitis on your glycemic control. It can affect um, periodontal treatment of diabetes. Systemic reviews suggest Patients with diabetes are at a two to four times greater risk for more severe periodontal disease than individuals without diabetes. Evidence indicates that individuals with diabetes had more severe periodontal disease and a higher A1C than healthy individuals. And non-surgical periodontal therapy and management of periodontal disease has resulted in an average decrease in A1C of 0.6%. So that says that If you have your non-surgical periodontal therapy and you manage your periodontal disease, this could result in a decrease of your A1C of 0.6%. So that's wonderful. So as a clinician, we can improve someone's diabetes by improving their oral health, improving their periodontal uh, status. Dental caries, um, the reduction in saliva flow puts the patient at risk for dental caries. Um, Patients with diabetes have increased periodontal disease in teeth involved endodontically, and they have a reduced likelihood of success of endodontic treatment. We do have some extraoral and intraoral findings associated with diabetes. Um, Our gingiva could be, we could see increased gingival inflammation. Uh, the periodontia, we could see tooth mobility, um, delayed healing. With teeth, poorly controlled diabetics have the increased risk of caries. Um, well-controlled diabetics have a decreased caries related to low sugar and dental maintenance appointments. As far as saliva, you could see xerostomia, and it contributes to opportunistic infections such as oral candidiasis. We also see glucose in the circular fluid. As far as the mucosa, you could see oral candidiasis, 
burning mouth or tongue or burning mouth syndrome, poor tolerance for removal of the prosthesis, delayed healing. You may have an increased prevalence of lichen planus and aptus stomatitis. Um, Their taste could be affected. They could have diminished taste perception or hypoglycia. And also, um, extra orally on the neck, there's ancanthosis negricans, which is a skin condition that has a light brown to black appearance in the creases on the neck and in other areas. So let's talk about some basics about insulin. Insulin facilitates glucose uptake from blood into tissues, which lowers blood glucose level. Speeds the oxidation of glucose within the cells to use for energy. It speeds the conversion of glucose to glycogen to store in the liver and skeletal muscles and to prevent the conversion of glycogen back to glucose. And it facilitates conversion of glucose to fat in adipose tissues. But I mean, what what is insulin? Insulin is a hormone. It's produced by the beta cells in the pancreas insulin directly or indirectly affects every organ in the body. And just as a note, normal blood glucose levels in healthy individuals range from 60 to 100 milligrams per deciliter and the hemoglobin A1c is less than 5.7%. So what happens with insulin in the body? Essentially, A healthy pancreas will excrete insulin into the bloodstream and that enables glucose uptake by the body cell. So you're going to see a healthy pancreas, it's going to secrete the insulin into the bloodstream. In the bloodstream are our cells and then we have a receptor on that cell that can take in that glucose, okay? With type 1 diabetes, our pancreas is not working. The B cells are destroyed. There's no insulin. So there's no glucose uptake into the body cell. With type 2 diabetes, there could be periodic reduction in insulin secretion by the pancreas. So we could see some insulin. But the receptor for to take the, the uh, glucose uptake could be defected. So this is how we see insulin affecting a healthy, a type 1, and a type 2 diabetic. So glucose is very important, and we see how it has an effect on how insulin works. If insulin is the key that unlocks the glucose channel, then insulin is is one of the most important things in order to get glucose into our system, which um, helps give us the energy we need. So let's talk about the classification of diabetes. We have type 1 diabetes mellitus, okay? Type 1 is an absolute deficiency and it requires exogenous insulin to sustain life. Someone who has type 1 diabetes has to have insulin, period. Their body does not produce insulin. The patient is prone to ketoacidosis. 
And if you remember, high blood sugar makes acidic ketones, which build up to dangerous levels in the body. And the ketones are produced by the liver during periods of low food intake or carb-restrictive diets, um, or when your body's in starvation mode, or when you've been doing exercise for a long time. So people who have type 1 diabetes, um, that high blood sugar, um, not being able to produce insulin, um, those ketones can build up and be dangerous and cause ketoacidosis. Type 1 diabetes typically arises in childhood or adolescence. Individuals with other autoimmune disorders, such as Graves' disease or Hashimoto's thyroiditis, are prone to develop type 1 diabetes, but it accounts for only 5 to 10% of those with diabetes. Um, it has also been described um, in the past as juvenile diabetes or juvenile onset diabetes. We also have type 2 diabetes mellitus, and this is the most prevalent type of diabetes and accounts for 90 to 95% of all patients with diabetes. Um, pancreatic insulin secretion may be low, normal, or even higher than normal, but the patient exhibits an insulin resistance that impairs the use of insulin. And then insulin insulin resistance is the inability of the peripheral tissues to respond to insulin. So maybe the body maybe maybe the pancreas is making some insulin, maybe not. Either way, the body is not responding properly to to the pancreas and the insulin release. Onset typically occurs in adulthood and the risk increases with age. Um, However, incidence has increased dramatically in children and adolescents due to the increase in sedentary lifestyle and obesity. In children, the typical age at diagnosis is um, 10 years or older to late adolescence. Type 1 diabetes is usually identified after acute symptoms of hyperglycemia prompt evaluation. And we also have some other types of diabetes as well. We have gestational diabetes. Um, this is onset during pregnancy, and it's related to genetics, obesity, and hormones causing insulin resistance. More than 50% of women with uh, gestational diabetes go on to develop type 2 diabetes within 5 to 10 years. So let's talk about some symptoms of low and high blood glucose, so high blood sugar. So for someone who is experiencing hypoglycemia or insulin shock might experience mental confusion, sweating, irritability, palpitations, shakiness, pallor, headache, seizure, and ultimately a coma and death. So someone with low sugar who is in insulin shock may have mental confusion, sweating, irritability, palpitations, shakiness, pallor, headache, seizure, coma, and death. Someone who has 
too much blood sugar is in hyperglycemia, they have a diabetic coma, um, they might be experiencing our three P's, which are polyuria, polydipsia, polyphagia, weight loss, blurred vision, increased susceptibility to infections, impaired growth, and ketoacidosis. So that would be our type 1 diabetic might experience um, hyperglycemia, too much sugar in their blood, and they may go into a diabetic coma. And then our, our people who have a low blood sugar may go into that insulin shock. So just think, if your blood sugar is low, maybe you're sweating, you're confused, you're irritable, um, you feel shaky, your head hurts, and then um, if there's too much sugar in your blood, you know, you have to, you know, you're thirsty, you need to urinate, um, you might be experiencing some blurred vision. So those are the symptoms of low and high blood glucose. As I just mentioned, the diagnosis of diabetes, whenever we think of diabetes symptoms, the classic three Ps, polyphagia, polydipsia, polyuria. And as we know, polyphagia is excessive hunger, polydipsia is excessive thirst, and polyuria is excessive urination. There are a few diagnostic tests. Um, that are used to diagnose diabetes. We have our glycated hemoglobin assay, and this um, test is going to uh, measure, it's going to diagnose prediabetes and diabetes. It's it's the HbA1c test. Prediabetes is diagnosed with an A1c value from 5.7 to 6.4%. An A1C uh, greater than 6.5% is used to diagnose diabetes. The A1C is also used to monitor diabetes control. The A1C goal may vary slightly for an individual based on their risk for hypoglycemia, but the goal for most non-pregnant adults is less than 7%. We also have the fasting plasma glucose diagnostic test and This is a measurement taken after fasting at least eight hours. So fasting plasma glucose. So this one is done by your blood. So we're gonna diagnose you with prediabetes if you have um, a fasting plasma glucose of 100 to 125 milligrams per deciliter. Um, Over 126 milligrams per deciliter is the criteria used for diagnosis of diabetes. Repeat testing is recommended to confirm a diagnosis. And then we also have two-hour plasma glucose, um, typically taking uh, during an oral glucose tolerance test. So um, you could be drinking something that's basically the equivalent of four Snicker bars, something that's about 75 grams of sugar, and um, just seeing if your body responds correctly and produces the insulin it needs based off of that high level of sugar that they've given you. So when it comes to these testing, um, it's important to note that in order to be diagnosed with diabetes, you need to have these tests done over a period of two to three months 
so that you can have an average A1C value so that you can know whether you actually have diabetes or just have prediabetes. Of course, there are some risk factors for diabetes. Your family history and your race and ethnicity. If you're a first degree relative with diabetes, African American, Hispanic, Asian, and Pacific Islander, Islander uh, you're at a higher risk. Uh, a first degree relative would be a parent or a sibling. Another risk factor is um, women who have delivered a baby over nine pounds or had gestational diabetes during pregnancy, as well as women with polycystic ovarian syndrome, also at a higher risk for diabetes. Physical inactivity. Those who are overweight with a BMI over 25 are at a higher risk for diabetes. And also, um, your A1C and dental visit screening may point um, to you having some issues. So if your A1C is greater than 5.7%, then you are at high risk for diabetes. Pharmacological therapy methods for insulin administration include subcutaneous injection with the syringe, battery-operated insulin pump, inhalable insulin, and an insulin pin. Uh, if you will be taking a subcutaneous injection with a syringe or an insulin pin, um, you're going to be using a class of insulin that's going to be rapid acting, regular or short acting, intermediate acting or long acting. These different types of insulin include Lispro, also called Humalog, Aspart, also called Novolog, Humulin R, Novolin R, uh, Detamir, Glargine, and the inhaled insulin is called Afrasa. People who are taking oral medications are commonly um, doing this to treat type 2 diabetes in conjunction with diet, exercise, and possibly the injection of insulin. The most common medication used in pre-diabetes is metformin. There are several different type of oral hypoglycemic agents used for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. Um, metformin, also called glucophage, uh, glyburide, also called, called diabeta, uh, glipizide, also called glucotrol. Uh, one of the things that stands out is a lot of these have gly somewhere in the name. Glyburide, glipizide, repiglinide, pioglitazone. So that's going to help indicate uh, what a patient is taking. As you can imagine, there are complications associated with diabetes, uh, one of those being infection. Uh, those who have diabetes have a higher susceptibility due to impaired immune system response, and insulin requirements may increase. Uh, neuropathy and amputation is also something that can occur. Pain, numbness, or tingling of mouth, face, and extremities, it leads to increased incidence of amputation. Cardiovascular disease, um, 
People who have diabetes are at high risk for hypertension, and it may lead to myocardial infarction and stroke. Um, also, retinopathy. Blindness through the progression of diabetic retinopathy, and it's likely that this patient could have glaucoma and cataracts. As far as uh, dental hygiene care plan appointment planning, uh, you're going to want to remember that um, the time. So you're going to want to have short appointments. You're going to make sure that you are ready for any emergency that may happen. So what do you do um, if a patient is experiencing hypoglycemia? Um, Well, first you need to recognize the symptoms. Next, you would discontinue treatment. Um, Sit them upright in the dental chair. If they are unconscious, you would activate the emergency medical system. If they are conscious, you would consume cards and test the blood glucose. Also, there is a... um, a rule called managing hypoglycemia, the rule of 15s. Um, And this is essentially the same. You would recognize the symptoms, discontinue treatment, sit the patient upright in the chair. If they're unconscious, activate the emergency medical system. Um, And then for someone who is conscious, you would apply that 15-15 rule. So have patient consume 15 grams of carbohydrates. Um, A tube of glucose gel is preferred or three glucose tablets, or a half a cup, or four ounces of fruit juice or regular soda, or a tablespoon of sugar. You would wait 15 minutes and test blood glucose with a glucometer. If blood glucose is still uh, less than 70 milligrams per deciliter, you would give another 15 grams of carbohydrates. Wait 15 minutes and test blood glucose with the glucometer. If the blood glucose is still less than 70 milligrams per deciliter, you would activate the emergency medical system. For documentation as a dental hygienist, we would run a record the status of their blood glucose control, update current medications and doses, and confirm compliance of medication intake and food consumption. Make sure you ask your patient if they've eaten and if they have checked their sugar. It's important that we avoid any emergency situations in the dental clinic. Here's a study tip. Did you hear a word or condition you were unfamiliar with? Look it up. Doing your own research helps you retain knowledge. Teach someone else what you learned. Teaching someone else is a mutual way to retain knowledge and be helpful to others. Thanks for listening to my Smart Smile podcast. Please like, share, subscribe, and review this podcast. If you'd like to know when new podcasts will be dropping, review questions, and more, please follow our Instagram account at mysmartsmile. Hope this podcast helped you get the grade and the name RDH.